Multiply podcast, conversation aimed to stir, equip and provoke. Interviewing thinkers, practitioners and pioneers as we aim to inspire and equip kingdom people to launch kingdom communities. You can find more resources on the Vineyard Churches website, www.vineyardchurches.org.uk. It's an absolute privilege to have uh, Bishop Rick Falk with us today. I've also got James Rankin, who is co-hosting with me. But Bishop Rick, you um, have oversight of church planting in London. You also have a national role. I think you're known as the Bishop of Church Planting. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about your role, what it currently looks like, what you're doing and, and all that? Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed, Paul um, and James, for having me on your show um, that's oh, what it show. is we, we upgraded suddenly <laughs> it, it, yes it, it's back it's multiplying already <laughs> so, um yeah it's great to be with you and uh huge um, respect and actually deep thanks to the vineyard movement i've got personally so much to um thank you for um and all that you carry i think it's an amazing legacy um uh for us or for my role i'm i i I'm a bishop in London under the Bishop of London. And so, um, and that's the London Diocese. So it's London north of the river and west of the River Lee, which is where the Olympic Park is. And, you know, there are other bits of London that we're so territorial that, you know, that's just the way we are anyway. So um, I have um, responsibility and authority in London Diocese um, to plant churches. And we're just um, at the moment setting a goal which I think is, has actually been publicly made already, which is to plant 400 churches over the next 10 years in, in the London diocese. And that will be a whole range of different kinds of churches. Um, and then nationally, um, I, the way the Church of England works is it's split up into dioceses, so kind of geographical areas. And there's a bishop responsible for each of those. And so I can't actually technically go and do things in their patch without their permission. And so um, I wait for their warm invitation before um, coming alongside them to work with them to see how they can plant and how they can develop. I think in, in a way, similar aspirations and um, across England, we've got some really exciting emerging goals for church planting, which I think is you know straight out of the vineyard playbook really, but um, you know, just when you set a goal, you're intentional about something and then you work out how are we going to do this in practice and you work out all the structures around that. So. Perhaps that's what we'll spend the next few minutes talking about. Yeah, amazing. Could you, I mean, I, I remember just as I was about to plant in Manchester, actually, I had a brief conversation with you in a yes. in a coffee shop in a tra in the train station in Manchester. Imagine it was cold as well. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. <laughs> but I, I found that moment so helpful and mm -hmm. just shaped and changed some of our thinking. I wonder if we could just dig into yeah. some of how it looks for, for you at the moment when you're working with churches, when you're planting churches, what are some yeah. of the steps and the early stages that you, yeah. you take people through? Well, it all starts with a latte and um, it's got to be a good latte. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> I bet it wasn't a good one on the train station. <laughs> It's not a memorable one. <laughs> There's nothing about you, Paul, sure. about British Rail Coffee. It was a chain, not an independent. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the first thing I, I want to explore with people is a vision for church planting. So 
behind the vision, it, it's, you know, it's what's the why behind, behind this? So, um, you know, vision is a, it's a visual word. So it's like, it's what is this going to look like in the future when God has done everything he wants to do through you or through the things that you're involved with? And so visually, what is, what is the vision that you have in front of you that you're working towards? It's, it's not like it is now. It's a brighter future that um, you will give your life for, you'll sacrifice much for in order to see that happen. So within that vision, there is a why, which is actually, I think, is a theology of what you're trying to do. So what is the incentive that you feel God is giving you biblically and theologically that's driving you towards doing what you're doing? And so um, for me, that starts in, um, in, in actually the call of God on, on the church, uh, the people of God to be the gospel, to preach the gospel to the world. It's, you know, all the way through the Old Testament to be uh, a light to the nations and so on. But, you know, I would kind of home it down into one verse in Matthew 28, uh, the familiar one of go into the world um, and go and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus here is commanding his disciples, not just to go and make disciples, so to disciple others, uh, to help them to follow Jesus as well. But also he says to teach them everything I've commanded you. So there's a multiplication in there. So they have to teach them what they've been taught, which is to make disciples. So teach them to make disciples and they'll be taught to make disciples and so on. So you have a multiplication through the ages. But also it's a mandate for church planting because baptism and teaching happen in the context of church, the gathered Christian community. You know, you're baptized into the church and you teach Christians. Um, who are gathered together. So um, this is a verse not just about making disciples and multiplying disciples, but actually creating new churches and new places to reach new people in new ways. And so that, that's my kind of nutshell theology. There's, you, know, you can track it through Acts and narrative theology. Um, you can track it through Paul's um, encouragement to keep on you know, things like to Timothy, to disciple in the context of church, on and on. There are loads and loads of avenues we could go down so there's a why there as part of the vision once you've got that we we then say well what does the vision look like in practice so you've got a you've got almost like a a, a mandate to do something to reach out to go somewhere else to start a new church mm -hmm. so then you're saying well where is that you know what are you thinking in your mind what's god put on your heart so there's a place probably or a people group or a context that god is drawing you to and it's at that point, we, we try and encourage people to have those conversations early so that they can be in communion, in conversation and, and communication with others who might be able to help steer that. Because if you go a long way down that line, you might have uh, developed a vision for a particular place at a particular time, when actually if you'd heard right at the beginning of your process that there might be somewhere else that is actually in a lot more need that's available right now, um, whereas this one's kind of, well, there's someone else there who we're in relationship with and be great if we went somewhere else let's have that conversation early before those ideas are fully formed and so we want to say okay let's hear the idea the concept the, the the what god's put on your heart and let's begin to start working out what that might look like together with others and i think there's a um there's a, a very practical um discernment thing about the council of the saints in there and then very simply it, it's um 
it's becoming clearer and clearer about what that that looks like it might be for example god's called us to plant a church in central manchester um it is we've done that in um conversation with the other leaders around us we feel that the, the church we're being sent from has got that vision and um the movement's got that vision and it's a city that um, needs a church like this and we have started to have conversations with some of the other churches in the city and they're saying yes we welcome you and so all of that is showing us yes this is the place and then once that vision's in place, um, I would then say um, we need to then work out a strategy. And what strategy is, is how do you get from where you are to what that vision says you want to be in the future? It's very simply, what are the steps that you're going to take to get there from A to B, from where you are now to where you want to be? And um, strategies need working on, they need simplifying, they need um, to be something which people can see and, and grasp but also they they have um, uh, they they can change. The vision tends not to change, but the strategy can change. So the, the vision for church didn't change from March the 20th to March 21st or whenever lockdown happened, but our strategy did because we suddenly had to go digital full on in one go, um, or we had to go online in some way. So our strategy had to change, but our vision remained the same. And then tactics are very simply the day-to-day -day working out of a strategy so it's like um we think we're going to tackle it this way with our strategy and then the, the person you're relying on gets headhunted out to another church plant or something like that and you've got suddenly you're basing it on that person's skills and gifts and you have to get someone else and they've got different skills and gifts and so tactically we'll do it in a different way same strategy or maybe slightly evolving strategy but for the same vision and so we're, we're working on those things um, with the church planter, with the sending church, as early on in the journey as possible, so that they can help develop that vision, develop that strategy, um, and you know the timeline of that strategy, so that you know what you need to do by when. And particularly around people, the gathering of people as part of that strategy to be in a team. So we'd always encourage planting with a team if at all possible. You, if you go on your own, it's challenging. You know, for a start, we're called to to go in pairs but it's interesting how Paul took church planting teams more and more in his later journeys and there's something about um, uh, a plurality of leadership and eldership in, in, in churches that we see in the New Testament that I think if you're going as a team then you're forming that you're, you're setting that up right from the start as this is the way we're going to work it's not a single lone ranger but it's a team of people we're, de we're, we're depending on each other's gifts we're saying that God's going to speak through a number of different people at different times. And so how can we really make the most of a team where you might still have one lead elder or leader um, who carries that almost like legal responsibility, but they have chosen to lead in such a way that they're doing it with others. And so they're deferring to others. They're actively listening with others. They are wanting to, um, uh, to submit themselves accountably to that leadership team as well. And, and so we now, with our training, we say, don't just come as the leader, come with your team. And of course, you know, that works for some churches. We're seeing more and more that we need to do that training, not during the day when it's convenient for me to do the teaching, but actually probably evenings and weekends when it's convenient for particularly um, non-full-time um, uh, staff or full-time leaders and even bivocational leaders who we're looking to more and more to do what needs to be done we can't have just full-time christian ministers leading churches we need bivocational leaders who 
have a vocation and you know they've got a, a, either a full-time or part-time job and they are leading the church at the same time and obviously if they're doing it they will do it in a different way to a full-time person and we need to equip them to lead in that particular way so um uh, and I guess the, the, the last thing I'd say around this is to say when you put all that together and you have an intention of planting a lot of churches we we have this uh, concept of a pipeline where with um the in in inward um entry point of the pipeline is what are all the opportunities and all the people who are interested in doing something like this you know we're trying to have as wide a, a, a pipe as possible at the beginning and then we try and um give them uh a clear idea of something like what I've just said, where we're wanting to say, once you've got that idea, once you know where you might be going and um, who is sending you and the timing of that, then we will put a coach with you. We'll do some consultancy with you. We'll put you through our training. And then we'll, um, if we can, we'll fund you or help you to find funding. And then the out part of the pipe is actually the plant. And it doesn't stop there because day one of a church plant is planting day two is church growth and so we want to help you to come alongside you to grow the church we want to help you to um, communicate what you're doing to others um, both your internal stakeholders but um, other people so they hear and can support what you're doing but also in the system i want to tell people at the beginning of the pipe this is what this is what it looks like when someone plants a church and you know um, would you support them pray for them and learn from them and then very simply, we want to help those other those churches who have planted to learn from each other because, you know, it, almost like cohorts, you're at different stages. Um, and the first, you know, 100 days of a plant, you, you're facing similar challenges. The first two years, you're facing similar challenges. Yeah. The next five years, you're facing similar challenges. So let's kind of learn together intentionally and let's bring that learning back into the system so that we can influence how we consult, coach, train, fund um, in our pipeline. So that's kind of hopefully going from the individual right through to a whole system of church planting. I love it. I can tell Rick that you've probably got a strategic gift set in there somewhere. <laughs> like it must be quite high up in there, like just listening <laughs> to all of that. Um, um, I was speaking to you earlier and you talked about how one of the visions is for, I think 400 churches by yeah. 2030, something like that. One of the things that I've noticed particularly in the last 10 years, you know, of working alongside the Anglican church, yeah. it's just this shift in focus, you, you know, so I, I, did, I didn't notice it 10 years ago, but now the shift in focus to church planting, it feels like from an outsider looking in that the culture has really, really changed. Um, that, that's what it looks like. I just wondered whether you could speak into that. Do you know what I mean? Because, the, and, and, having this vision for 400 churches before that, I think it was 200 churches and, and it keeps growing. Can you yeah. talk, you've been involved with this for a while, but the yeah. changing of that culture, what's that, what's yeah. that been like from the inside? Yeah. So we are longing and praying for a change of culture. And I think you, um, so what it looks like for us is um, when I'm working at their invitation to, <laughs> with, to, with diocese, um, one of the things we're noticing over time is that there are there are like four stages um, in the big picture. The first one is like opportunistic church planting. Mm -hmm. Someone just happens to go to another place and um, a few friends moved with them and there was an opportunity and a church got planted and hooray, that's fantastic. 
and no one was planning it. It just happened, and we're we're all proud of it. But you know, just it was just opportunity. It was yeah. you know fortuitous. If a lot of places do that, where they've got someone who just wants to do it and they end up doing it, but if you want to do that. Um, if you want to see more of that, because you say, wow, that's a good thing. We'd love to see more of those. You then move to the second stage, which is being intentional. Mm-hmm. And being intentional is where you say, um, I'm going to set a goal for this. So in London in 2013, we set a goal to plant 100 new churches in London. Now, if we hadn't set that goal, it would have probably been the same as it was before, which was for the last 25 years, we planted 50 churches. But in yeah. the first three years of being intentional, we planted 50 churches. So rather than 25, three years, because we said, let's be intentional, let's set the goal, let's begin to work out how we do it. And then third stage is being strategic, which is where you say, um, we've just not just setting a goal, we're beginning to look at maps, we're beginning to look at places where there aren't churches. We're beginning to look at places where churches need to be revitalized because they've gone to a low ebb. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to places where it's really, really challenging. So, for example, um, you know, outer estates, which are never going to pay for themselves. They're always going to need to be supported financially. And they, are, um, they have a lot of um, uh, challenges that, you know, where it would start with, you know, much larger numbers of people on benefits, for example, you're dealing with a different thing to a more middle-class suburb church. And so when you're, at, you, when you're strategic, you're then saying, we're looking for particular people to go to these more challenging places. So your, your people pipeline becomes much more important um, and nuanced. And, and then the fourth stage is then a culture of church planting where it's completely normal for church planting to be, you know, no one's threatened by it. They all say, everyone says, yeah, um, we need this. And, um, the I've seen culture happen in individual churches when you have multiple generations of church planting. So, for example, I planted from Holy Trinity Brompton in 2005 to St. Paul's Shadwell in East London. We then planted four um, churches in, East, in Tower Hamlets, in Bethnal Green and Bow and the Isle of Dogs and Spitalfields. And two of those churches have gone on to plant other churches in, in another one in Bow and two in um, Newham. Now, the church leader in Newham, um, Ben, he would say um, that uh, everyone in his church says, we are church planters. We, we're just waiting for the next opportunity to come and, you know, can we go? Yeah. So they're not saying, oh, look after me, we kind of need to stay here. They, that church exists for church planting, and it's a fourth generation of plant. So that is where a culture shift has happened at a local level. And when the culture shift changes at the, the national level, it's when this is, you know, we're a nation that encourages church planting because we're only 8% of people who go to church in this country, um, adding all the denominations together. We've got 92% to reach. There's plenty of fish to, to, to yeah. <laughs> plenty of places we can go to. And that culture exists when we're all in that saying, let's work together, let's um, encourage each other, pray for each other and work out our own um, models and so on to do this. And so how do you change the culture? Well, I think you, there are, I think you go through those steps. 
um, to move from opportunistic where you're looking at some people and saying, yes, there's some things here we can learn to intentional. Let's learn from those and begin to be uh, more intentional about it and then strategic and so on. And I think alongside that, what I'm noticing is a, a prayer movement 24 mm. seven, um, thy kingdom come. God is raising up an intercessory movement that often coincides with God doing a, a move <laughs> you know, in a, in a deep and great way nationally. So I, 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 I want to try and link those two things together. I'm noticing a whole range of missional movements coalescing, not doing the same thing, but actually recognizing each other, sometimes a bit suspiciously, but still recognizing. So that's the church planting movement. That's the missional communities movement. That's the fresh expressions movement. It's the pioneer movement. And they're, they're all effectively, I think, you know, in the last few years, they've been looking at each other going, oh, I'm, thank God I'm not like them. <laughs> uh, we've got our own way. But they're beginning to realize more and more, oh my goodness, the, the, the ocean is so great that we cannot do this on our own. And God might be raising up different ways of doing things to reach different people, because not everyone's going to um, respond to the way that we're doing it. And so I think culture change um, is accelerated when people start getting intentional about it. So the fact that, I mean, this is where Vineyard, you know, you've, you've had a church planting department or team right from the beginning. You are a church planting movement and you haven't let go of that. Um, and so you are in, you know, you're not just intentional about it, you're strategic about it. And there is a culture of church planting in the, in the movement. You need to keep on stirring that um, yeah, pot, yeah. you need to keep on fueling that fire. Um, and I think there are some very practical ways you can keep doing that. So one example that we've just discovered probably far later than you ever than you did um, is that if you plant a church with an apprentice planter, then that apprentice is learning how to plant. But straight away from day one, you are planting with the intention to plant again. And so that is a cultural dynamic that changes the way that church is operating. So when you say on day one, we're here to plant a church, people go, yes, it's fantastic. We're so pleased we're here. The person who's saying that says, no, no, we're here to plant a church. So we're gonna grow a church here and we're gonna send church plants from here to other places because other places need it as much yeah. as this place needs a church, which we are inhabiting right now. So that again will shift the culture because that is an exponentially increasing opportunity if you, replace your apprentice when they go with another apprentice and so year let's say you plant every three years year one we've got me as the leader and an apprentice year four when we plant i send the apprentice out to plant a church and they take on an apprentice and i take on another apprentice three years later in year six i'm um, going into year seven we've got four churches because two of those are planting they all take on an apprentice then um, so then you've built in every three years um, an exponential increase that are doubling in size. And so within 15 years, you've got um, quite a lot of churches that you're... Yeah, I was going to try and do the maths then. And then I was like, oh, I was hoping you were going to do it. Um, you've got a lot of churches. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yes. and that's just, a you know, if you start saying, if you use that model, that might be for, say, full-time staff. Yeah. You then say, okay, well, we could cut our teeth on church planting in the meantime by raising up lay church plants who are going to do it more locally to us. 
um, where we're trying to do something every year with smaller church plants, say of a team of five or six people to go and do something down the road and we'll support them in, an, in a local network. Then, and we do use the same model there, then you are into serious models. Yeah, suddenly you're into a culture shift, aren't you? Of, yeah. yeah, and I love that. A Just thousand to... churches in 10 years, if you wow. do that, in, from, one, from a base of one. Yes. And that's allowing for 24 churches to just, you know, 48 churches, not really to get. Yeah. Do you know what? We, we, we haven't done it in the same way. And so that is a really, really fascinating insight. Uh, it's yes. It's simple. really simple. Yeah. In terms of, I, I always think of it, if, if you go with the DNA that you want to plant again, it's complete. And you set that as your, do you know what I mean? A church plants. And then they're like, we are a planting church and we have a strategy to plant again. Yeah. then but i i love your i think that's really profound the apprentice model as well yeah so that's strategic the apprentice model is strategic of course it's paul did it um yes. and, yeah yeah um he learned by by mistake yes so he learned by mistake because on the second mission journey he took he had a team of four so um we, we know that in troas he's mm. got silas who he went with to start with he picks up timothy and lystra and picks up luke and troas they go across because of the Macedonian man to um, crossing to another continent to Europe. So having to go through a mind shift because he wasn't expecting that. He was trying to go to Ephesus, um, to Asia, and then to Bithynia and the spirit didn't let him. Went, ended up going to Macedonia, to Philippi, to Thessalonica. And his strategy there was to leave a member of his team in each place that he planted a church. And you can see it just, you can pick it up just through the letters about how, how it happens. But he ends up in Athens alone because he's left his team, one in each place where he's been planting churches. And he can't plant a church in Athens straight away. He has to wait um, for something to emerge later on. So and that's why in, when he ends up in Corinth, he's saying, come quickly to come, <laughs> come with me to, um, because I need you here. Um, and that was obviously part of the plan you know to, to do that so i think by the time he gets to the third journey he stays in one place in ephesus but he is planting churches that plant churches that plant churches because the whole of asia acts 19 verse 10 have heard the gospel both jews and greeks have the whole of asia that's whole of western turkey heard the gospel well there must have been a multiplication model where he's sending people like epaphras to colossi to plant the church there and then laodicea and hierapolis because um, he's doing it through multiplication. And he's, he's never left the city. It's one of the things he says in Acts 20. You know, I, I was just going from house to house in Ephesus, didn't go anywhere else. Um, but the whole of Asia has been church planted into. And the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that John writes to, you know, Jesus writes these, you know, speaks to the, the churches in the seven churches. Well, they were all planted during that mission trip. Yeah. So he learned it through making mistakes. And, but constantly evolving his own strategy making it better and better and more and more effective can i ask you uh, <laughs> changing tack slightly you, you've yeah. got a hugely um strategic mind and visionary nature just even in this conversation you can see it and london is a hugely ethnically diverse city yeah i, I dare say all nations are represented in london yeah. What does it look like for the Anglican Church to therefore plant churches yeah. into London representing that? As a movement, we long to diversify. I just wonder what are some of the lessons we might be able to learn from you? 
as yeah. we consider. I mean, it's a great question. I mean, to start with, I'd say we haven't done it very well um, to date, <laughs> um, and particularly um, in our leadership. You know, so our leadership is very white. It has been very male. It's beginning to change um, with more women leaders, um, but we have very few leaders of churches in the London Diocese who are of a different ethnic background, um, uh, non-white as well. And so we're, we're actively trying to do that. That's been accelerated, the need for that through the Black Lives Matter um, movement. And, um, you know, I'd say that it's becoming, you know, we've tried lots of things over decades and they haven't really worked. And so we're needing to be much more in, much more intentional and much more intervent, in, interventionist to, um, to do something. And that starts at the top. Um, and so, um, you know, watch this space for changes, you know, for kind of leaders and leadership and so on. We're wanting to do that. But there is also something you can do. You don't want to, um, uh, you know, put people who aren't ready into positions of responsibility and then, you know, uh, you know just watch them failing so there's something about growing and developing um over a period of time intentional um uh, diversity and so you know one of the things in our in our intentionality around setting a goal for 100 new worshiping communities um in london diocese we started quite early on in that when we started saying oh, what does this actually look like we looked at some of the things that god was already doing um in terms of uh, different ethnicities uh, different ethnic chaplaincies and so on. So there's a Filipino church. There's um, there was a um, uh, a couple of different um, uh, Nigerian churches with different dialects and so on. And I I began to start. Um, I I did some work with CMS. And one of the things I said was that London is such a diverse city. You're sending all these missionaries out to other places in the world. Why can't you tra train them and send them to London? Because you know. They could do the same work and it's close to home. And one of the things I said was that actually it's much more expensive to send them to London, ironically. <laughs> but that got me thinking and saying, okay, we need to be, let's be intentional. So let's do the survey, let's do the data um, about who are the kinds of people we should be reaching that we're not reaching at the moment. And then let's identify opportunities to plant churches to reach those people. And um, it came home with. Um, the French community. So there are 400,000 roughly French people who live in London. And I thought, okay, well, French, I'm sure they look after themselves. There'll be lots of French churches. I, I found only three congregations that were specifically reaching French people, French speaking French people. There are a few other um, different uh, nationalities of um, French speakers, you know, some African nations and so on. But this is French speaking French people. Mm. And um, three. For 400,000. So I thought, well, we can certainly work with them, but we need to plant churches ourselves into that group of people. And so we found a Frenchman who was training to be, um, who wanted, who felt called to be an Anglican. And so we said, okay, we want you not just to go somewhere in Europe, we want you to come back to England and plant a church in London. We put him in, um, in uh, Kensington, in um, St. Barnabas, uh, uh, West Kensington. And uh, the vicar is a, a French speaker himself, but We've got actually a, a French man who is leading that French church. And they, I love what they do. They have things like wine tasting and they do kind of cheese <laughs> nights. And so no English cheeses. Um, yeah, French cheese. You know, I want to be in that evangelistic kind of stream. But, um, but we started being intentional about other language groups. So 
Turkish, um, you know, there are, there are quite a few Turkish people, 120,000, something like that. So we said, there are three distinct areas in London where Turkish people congregate. Let's plant a church into one of those. So we found a Turkish church planter in Istanbul. And we arranged with CMS to send him over to England. And he's now like a, a, an assistant pastor in a parish. But he's planted a, a Turkish speaking congregation that is then going to multiply into these other two areas. And he's uh, intending to leave leaders in place and develop his own leadership pipeline. And then he will go back to Istanbul. So highly intentional, multiplying. And we're just saying, let's do it with, we've, we've done it with Ukrainian, Russian, um, Spanish, Italian, um, per, uh, um, uh, with kind of exploring Polish, um, uh, French, obviously, um, but then Brazilian, um, there's uh, a Filipino, um, Chinese, um, there's a kind of Mandarin speaking church, which we've just um, uh, planted, and uh, and so on. So we're just saying, okay, let's let's keep on looking at the demographics, look at the data, and let's look at what's already there. Let's partner with those churches that are already there and say, can we join with you? And that everyone we've spoken to has said yes. So we try and connect with that, but we're doing it as as our as our own family of churches, if you like. And so, um, but then in the midst of that, there's there's then actually the multicultural element. So you know, the the church was always supposed to be a a, a, a church of all peoples yes so multicultural church is different so if you plant with a, a turkish leader to speak turkish you're probably going to get turkish people or the odd person who is mad enough to try and learn turkish so uh, but it's going to be and that's fine that's not that's if that's joined up with the wider church that's a that's a fine strategy that's um but if you're just planting to a specific group of people um in english in reaching a different ethnicity. I think there's a problem theologically with that, ecclesiologically with that, in that we are supposed to be, um, if it's one language, then actually we should be, it should be multicultural. And so you, if you do that, you have to be intentional. And that starts right at the conception of the church in terms of what is the leadership team of that church going to look like? And so um, we've got one leader in Harrow who's just planted a church called Mosaic. Um, he's, um, Sri Lankan by birth, but you know, um, Englishman, and he's actually a, a GP, is a bivocational minister. He's planted a church with a multicultural team, and very important that you see what you see in front of you. If you're a member of a congregation or you're new coming into the church, you you see what you could be, and if you see a multicultural yeah. leadership team, then you you feel welcome. You feel there's a place for you to yeah. develop in your leadership to you know that you're going to be nurtured and looked after. If you see a multicultural team, you're seeing not just yourself perhaps represented there, but you're seeing the way that they're relating together also says, I'm welcome here and I can bring people. Um, I know that lots of different people will be welcome here as well. So those all add up to uh, still, you know, we haven't, we've got a few of those, but there's a growing number of people that I'm wanting. And I listen out for these people who say, I want to do multicultural church. And I'm saying, yes, Let's work with you to to make sure that intentionally happens. And there's some great um, thinking of this in the states, where you've got things like two or three different people groups who are working together and intentionally working out how do you affirm each people group. Um, you know, so you might have a bilingual service um, or a bilingual church. And and again, you uh, um, Holy Trinity Hounslow 
church in the heart of um, a very, very multi-ethnic um, area. Their worship on Sunday mornings, um, I went there um, about a year ago and I, I sang songs in English, Russian, um, uh, Hindi, um, uh, there was another Asian language, um, uh, um, I'll remember it in a minute, and, um, uh, and English. And so, you know, what it felt like heaven. That was my experience. And actually, yeah, they happened to be good singers good. as well. So it actually sounded Even better. Like not, not always the way you, what you yeah. have. Um, so, again, there's an intentionality about because it's a culture change that's needed. And that's a culture change if we're going to see um, Black Lives Matter and the big move, the wider movement. We have to more than hope that it's going to work out right. We have to actually do something, and and I'm afraid that's in the hands of white leaders who hold power. They have to change that dynamic, and it means giving up power um, and recognizing that um, un, not just under God. I mean, the the, the country recognizes it as well that we need to um, have um, to to reflect who we actually are, are you know, who who is around us. So is that a kind of answer to your question? Yeah. It's a short answer and a very, very long answer. <laughs> a long answer, a very short question. Well, well, thank you. Incredibly challenging and inspiring. And just even some of the stories of, of what is happening and what you are seeing is, is amazing and deeply encouraging. Can I just ask you maybe one final question, unless James, you had any others? Was um, I like Rick because you ask him a question and then you get like a really, really full answer. Like, but but it's, it's great because you're so well <laughs> thought through. But even, you know, the ethnic diversity question, I'm like, you know, wow, you've really, really thought that through. And yeah. so, yeah, go on, go on, Paul, you There's go with your question. There's to chew on there, though. But um, I, I guess my, my question would be almost we're, we're, in, a, we're in a significant change moment. Um, in numerous ways in this country, not yeah. just because of the pandemic, but some of the other stuff that has been stirred, is what what do you have faith for in this moment? You know, what do you what do you believe for? What are you seeing that would inspire us around that? I think just even practically, we've seen a yeah. major um, shift change in training, particularly relating to church planting, people's understanding of what they can now access or how they can access it but what yeah what would what would you almost speak into this moment uh well i'd love to hear what you've got to say <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those questions isn't it it's a nice small finisher rick yeah. you know just walk through that door um so um a number of things so the first thing is to say um that um, in an institution like the Church of England, it's amazing how quickly people can change when they have to. Mm. So we've been trying to get the church to be digital for about 20 years. Mm. And um, in and they've resisted it like mad. And in, in three weeks, we went online. <laughs> yes. So um, it is extraordinary how change is actually possible. Um, what I long for and what I'm seeing, I mean, uh, I think... Um, I, I, I have a passion for people to know Christ and to, um, to experience the fullness of the Spirit and to uh, have a hope for the future that's different to what, what they understand and know now. And um, the answer, God's answer to, um, to that is the church. 
And so um, I'm passionate about helping the church to see it's it, what it can do. And it, it, church growth is not enough. Church growth is important. But if we doubled in size, we'd, that would be amazing. People would be writing books for centuries. But that will only get to 16% of the population. What about the other 84%? So we've got to plant churches. It's just as simple as, you know, it's a simple solution to what God is calling us to do. Because if people are going to, how will they hear unless someone sends, you know, they hear it from someone who's been sent and who's going to send them Well, a church will send them, but they're going to be sent not on their own, but to start new churches and um, to reach out with the good news in their local context. And so um, I think what, what I'm hopeful about is that this is a growing movement. Um, a lot of the barriers are coming down. You know, um, I heard uh, a guy called Neil Powell, who is planting churches in uh, Birmingham and is now um, working in London with City to City. Um, he said that one of the things they'd worked out, they, they got together with a group of church planters in Birmingham and had a vision for 20 churches by 2020. And they discovered on their journey of working together that um, they didn't want to plant churches together, but together they wanted to plant churches. Mm. And what he meant by that was if you get together with another church and you try and plant one church from you both, you're kind of mixing a lot of DNA, you're mixing a lot of different ways of doing things and it's not gonna end up well. There's gonna be tension and so on. His experience of that wasn't so good, but he found that when church planters got together and said, how can we help each other and encourage each other to plant? Then that was an explosive mix. It was much more than one plus one equals two. It was one plus one equals four, five, six, because multiplication began to happen. So there's something there about nationally, I think God is beginning to say, um, I'd love you to encourage each other to plant more churches. I'd love you to cheer each other on. I'd love you to um, pray for each other and to play blessing on those who are different to you because they'll reach different people to you um, uh, pray for more multiplication so that we can reach more people with the gospel so i'm finding in this time that there's um that it feels like there's an acceleration of um passion of desire of uh, and the need um that there's a kind of a coming down of barriers um I'm also seeing a need to be more strategic and more intentional. So to say, actually, let's, um, let's, let's really start trying to change the structures so that we can do this more easily. And I think there's also something around um, uh, needing to pray. And um, I maybe, I, I, I think I, I'm not unusual as a church planter in being an activist and wanting to be very practical and get down to just working and doing stuff and um prayer has never been my strong suit mm -hmm. <laughs> i know it's important and uh, and on my own i find it really difficult so but I, I actually find it much easier with other people and so one of the things that we're working we're realizing as a team um in, in doing what we're doing is to say let let's build in praying together in a structural way, it's in the diary. Um, we just happen to pray regularly as a team, just 15 minutes each day, and have a very specific focus on each of those um, times each week. And um, that is, we're developing a culture of prayer, and that is changing the way we're doing things. 
and we're seeing i know that in my own life when i pray um i love you know what you said um james you know that things um things just happen the right person comes at the right moment and um you know there's there's just a, a spark and it just everything comes together sometimes paul you said you know it's at the last minute um so it's like um when you pray more those things happen more often yeah um often they happen right at the last minute which makes us trust god even more but i'm seeing more and more people wanting to pray um and i think that's part of what god might be stirring up and so the challenge for me is to get back on my knees to um this is where I, I kind of come back to some values that I, I've practiced. I caught them from HDB years ago from Sandy Miller and Nikki Gumbel, who probably caught them from John Wimber. And, you know, so, um, but um, aim high, you know, have a big God-shaped vision. So we're just going for, you know, what God, what do you want to do? Which is much bigger than what we could do. It's bowing the knee. It's, it's, um, it's being humble. It's, it's um, humility. Um, it's saying, actually, I want to honour other churches. I want to, I'll never speak badly of other leaders. Um, it's the Spirit's work and not mine. Um, we want to encourage and nurture the, the ministry of the Spirit in our midst. It's about generosity. It's the generosity of the mission of God and generosity of church planting. We want to send our best um, right through to enjoying it with others, a kind of unity. So when we believe in teams locally but also we want to be in partnership with other churches so that we can say what is God saying to the church of Manchester or the church of London or whatever and that's not just the Anglican church that's all churches how can we work together in that way and then um, never give up there's a tenacity it's like yeah. persevering we've got to keep going and I, those are the things which I think I encourage in people I try and live out myself and that's what we want to see I think I think Together, we can see God do extraordinary things in our midst. Amen. Can, can we pray for you just in finishing, Rick? Because I don't know about Paul. I can't speak for him. I'm going to speak for him. <laughs> I feel slightly mind blown in a really good way. Do you know what I mean? Just, just inspired by um, that's the very stuff funny. that you've shared with us and i'm like everybody needs to hear this this is great this is good stuff and so we just want to pray a blessing on you just in finishing so thank you jesus yeah. i want to thank you for rick and give him all the resources of heaven <laughs> in mm. order to mobilize multiply churches lord thank you for the vision and you know we pray for these 400 churches in london it's like yeah Lord, go beyond go beyond that even um there, there will be such a multiplication effect yes so lord i just pray health over him and his family and blessing on him and blessing on all of the churches that they're planting right now mm. lord that this na our nations would just be filled with church plants lord we don't care where they come from you know in some senses it's we care for vibrant god-shaped beautiful worshiping communities because we need them if 92% of our nation is not in church, that is not all right. And so, Lord, we just contend for that right now. And we're just aware some of you will be listening to this podcast and that there might be a stirring in your soul as well. You're like, oh, do you know what? Actually, something's just stirring. Listen to that and bring it before the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rick, thank you so much.
Oh, bless you. Bless the vineyard. Lord, increase and multiply all that you're doing with them in Jesus. Yeah. Oh. Amen. Love you guys. Honestly, um, 